0: Welcome to the Magic Time Podcast, proudly brought to you by Firm Foundation Media. Good afternoon and welcome to the Magic Time Podcast. I'm Scott Squires. We were a little later getting underway today due to some technical glitches that have been ironed out. Pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Moncton Magic. This is Joe Salerno. Good afternoon, Joe. Hey,
1: good afternoon, Scott. How you doing?
0: Excellent, sir. Great to have you with us. Congratulations on a very successful regular season and uh, making the playoffs as the number two seed.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. No, we're uh, you know we're pretty excited about uh, being able to host, you know, uh, you know having home court advantage here in the, in the first round of the playoffs, and and I think it was a successful regular season. You know, our, our number one goal. Um, you know, really, I think from the, the day I was hired, you know, we've been saying first and foremost, we wanted to put together, you know, the first winning season, uh, the city of Moncton has had with an NBO team of the team. And, and I was very, uh, very happy and proud to accomplish that with, with this group of guys that we have.
0: So before we get talking about, uh, the playoff series coming up against your provincial rivals, the St. John Riptide, uh, Speaking of your provincial rivals, you had a couple of games against the St. John Riptide to wrap up the regular season. It was dubbed the Battle of the 506, the first of the home-and-home, home, was held at Harbor Station in St. John. Uh, St. John setting a record, I believe, for that franchise for attendance. And then a couple of days later, uh, the best home se- uh, home crowd on the regular season for the Magic attended the back end of the home-and-home First of all, Coach, uh, just your thoughts on that whole battle of the 506, the whole uh, rivalry, and uh, your thoughts on that final regular season game.
1: Oh, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great promotion, um, you know, the battle of the 506. I think we are, well, yeah, I, I know we are. We're the two, you know, closest teams uh, proximity-wise out of any two in the NBL Canada. So it was certainly a, a natural rival, you know, both being here in the, in the province of New Brunswick and and only being about an hour and you know, 15 hours and 20 minutes apart. Um, so it was a great promotion. It was great to see, you know, both, both mayors of the respective cities kind of get on board and, and, uh, and kind of challenge some local businesses to, to support, you know, their home team in, in these franchises, uh, certainly generated some, some great crowds and some, some great excitement, uh, within the two cities. And, you know, once you know it, of course, both teams, you know, we got a split. <laughs> so there wasn't any real, you know, deciding factor in that battle of the five Oh six, but, uh, the good news is, you know, we're 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 going to have a, a kind of a deciding, you know, a winner here of the battle of the 506 six, uh, with our matchup uh, in the first round. So, um, it was great. It was it was a great, like I said, promotion, and you know, very pleased to to get that win, you know, to finish out the regular season.
0: And you mentioned uh, the mayors, Mayor Don Arnold from Moncton, took part in an on-court ceremony just prior to that final regular season game the other night at the Coliseum. And it was a ceremony that uh, was unknown to the two gentlemen who were honored, Anthony Anderson, A, and Al Stewart, but they were presented with some very nice frame pictures uh, commemorating each player uh, reaching the 1,000 rebound mark. They did it within a couple of weeks of one another, and of course we've mentioned it before, but pretty special. Both players, the only two players in the NBL currently who have reached 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 points, and 1,000 assists, but... As you stood there kind of watching that ceremony and and seeing these two NBL iconic players um, honored at center court, what was kind of going through your mind?
1: Uh, It it was a proud moment. You know, it it was a proud moment. It was just, it's really interesting because I've had two very different relationships (laughs) with both of those players throughout their entire career, you know, in the NBL Canada and, and to reach such a significant milestone. um you know, within the time span that I've also been, you know, in this league, it was, it was a really proud moment, you know, knowing that, you know, these are two of the top players who've ever played in this league. And, and for several years, you know, I had to coach against Anthony Anderson and I became extremely familiar with, with AA and and what he's capable of doing, you know, always trying to come up with ways of of stopping him or slowing him down. And then of course, on the flip side, you know, having coached Al for, for several years now and just having such a close relationship with him, um, you know, seeing him achieve that that goal, you know, that only two players ever had, it was it was a special moment. You know, it's something that both those guys should be extremely proud of. Um, you know, I know I'm I'm certainly proud of and, and having a hand of that in, as well. And um, it was a great thing. It was a great thing by the Magic to recognize them because it's certainly uh, deserving.
0: Now, one thing going into that final regular season game, you guys knew that you had the second seed locked up. And you always want to go out and win every game, but what was your message to the team prior to that final regular season game at the Coliseum? Because again, you always want to go out, you always want to play hard and win, but there was really nothing to gain for you guys in terms of nothing was going to change, win or lose. What was your message to the team and and what was the mood of the team before they took the floor in that final game?
1: It was good. The mood was good, and, and we, we knew we still had something to gain. You know, we were we were coming off a a, a tough loss and a pretty poor loss uh, in Saint John. You know, just just prior to that, a few days before, um, you know, where we really didn't play that well. We certainly didn't play well offensively, you know, whatsoever. Um, and we knew that this was a potential first round playoff opponent. So I think for us, you know, playing better basketball against that team you know, going into a potential playoff series with them it was pretty important for us. So, um, you know, we were taking the game, you know, very seriously. We wanted to win the game. But more so, we kind of wanted to get back to, to playing well. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that as many guys as possible could contribute in that game and, and just try to kind of set the tone of a, of a of a confidence, you know, a confident tone and a confident feeling, you know, heading into the postseason, which, which really has kind of been, you know, our ultimate goal all season long was, was really, you know, the regular season we wanted to play well and, and put together a winning, winning season. But at the end of the day, you know, the playoffs is where it really matters. So I think, you know, that final game, we just wanted to kind of get all of our ducks in a row and, and enter in the playoffs on a high note, uh, which I think we accomplished.
0: Now for you guys, so many different players game in game out have kind of stepped up and played a certain role. It, it's, it's, You know, a lot of different guys night after night. But for me, I thought that uh, Terry Thomas had an incredible game in that final regular season home game. Uh, He was doing everything on both ends of the floor. But certainly offensively, he was scoring inside. He was hitting the outside shot. He was hitting balls from outside the arc. Uh, He really seemed to get into the game as it went along. And, And he actually ended up being the Moncton Magic player of the game. But when you see... Terry Thomas, in his, I guess, in his zone, what kind of feeling does that give you on the bench in terms of, okay, Terry's going, everybody else got to get on board here. But what were you, what was your thoughts as you were watching Terry uh, do his thing on Saturday night? You know,
1: he's done it so many times this season. You know, it wasn't, certainly wasn't a surprise. It certainly wasn't, you know, really kind of anything new. You know, I mean, Terry has... As you know, more good games than bad, and uh, it's pretty rare when he when he doesn't have a, a decent game. Um, you know, we we kind of kind of go as as Terry goes. I mean, Terry is actually a, a pretty quiet guy, and um, you know, when you say you lead by example, whether he knows it or not, he does. And when he's you know in a, in a positive mindset and and he's playing with a lot of energy and he's got it going on on both sides of the, the basketball it's really easy for the rest of our team to to feed off his energy and and kind of feed off his his playmaking abilities. And um, so it was a, it was a great thing. And and like I said, we, we all kind of jump on his back and and when he's playing that well, it it makes it really easy for a lot of other guys. So uh, no, he was great. He He had a great final regular season game.
0: And I know we talked early in the season that, uh, you know, Terry just seems to be getting better and better, still only, you know, still relatively young guy, young player, but it seems to me this year, he's really relishing how much his shooting game, his outside range has kind of rounded into form this year. What are a couple of things that you see from Terry that have really helped round his game into even more shape and make him even more of a dangerous player?
1: Well, I, th- I think the outside shooting, you know, obviously he, he's improved on, you know, from this season to, to last season. Uh, but he actually distributes the basketball, you know, uh, much better this year than, than he did, you know, any of the previous two years that I've had him. And I think that's just coming, you know, with his game maturing. You know, he's able to just kind of read defenses a little better as he's as he's penetrating and getting the ball to the basket. And, and it's just decision-making, you know, and that kind of comes with, with maturity and, and with playing the game for for a longer period of time, and when when Terry you know can can drive to the basket and he draws so much attention, you know when he can find the the wide open guy, like you're you're a really dangerous team. So, I think to me that that's been another big improvement in, in Terry's game this season. Uh, and and again, just just kind of being more mature, you know, on the court. Not that Terry's ever really been immature, but it, it's he just has a, a little bit of a better focus. You know when when things maybe don't go his way, or or there's a tough call against him, or you know maybe he makes you know a bad decision. It doesn't seem to phase him. You know for the next play or the play after that. And I think that's again a sign of maturity, um, which is, has certainly benefited his game and, and and obviously benefited the Magic this season.
0: The one thing too, when you look at the the stat line uh, from that game. Terry, the only player on the Magic that was 30-plus minutes, far and away the most minutes, 37 uh, in the game. How hard is it to take him out of the game when he's going? Is it more of of a matter of you just leaving him in because he's going, or he's coming to you saying, Coach, don't you even dare think about subbing me out? Yeah, no,
1: Terry's never never said that. He's never kind of made that, even that, that indication. I mean, Terry wants to be on the floor all the time um and and we want him out there kind of as as much as possible you know I think Terry averaged about 36 minutes a game this season um so that final regular season game you know wasn't much different than than his kind of normal season average um with any of our guys you know whether it's Corey Allman or or Jay Calise or even Al Stewart you know if those guys kind of have it going uh you know they're going to play you know longer periods of time and you know, for Terry, we kind of want him on the floor all the time. And, and for the most part, you know, Terry's normally only off the floor when, when he kind of needs a, a blow or, or, you know, we feel really comfortable with the score. And um, so, I mean, I think it was, it was kind of business as usual for, for Terry in that, that final game, and, and he was playing well. So uh, it's really easy to, to leave him out on the court, you know, a little bit longer when, when he's doing everything that, that Terry does so well.
0: All season long, this team has kind of hung their hat on the defensive intensity and your ability to be able to shut down other teams offensively compared to where your team was and where you saw your team early in the season defensively to where you see them now heading into the playoffs if you had to grade one to ten one being lowest obviously ten being the best if you had to grade your excuse me your defense the first month of the season versus now what would the score be for the first month and where would you score your defense now?
1: Hmm. um, the very first month of the season, I'd say we were probably around a, a six six point five you know we we were we were pretty good, but we, we still weren't you know guys didn't completely understand the the system you know and you kind of believe it or not, you know we, we do kind of have a, a defensive system. we have you know specific things that we look to do um, against every opponent. And then, obviously, we, we alter things a little bit, you know, based on who we're playing from game to game. But I'd say probably about a 6.5, you know, I, maybe, maybe a 7. We've been pretty pretty solid defensively all season. You know, I think right now, you know, we're probably at about an 8.5, maybe pushing a 9. Um, I think in spurts, we've been a 10. And and I think, you know, we went through some stretches this season where we were very, very good defensively. Um I think we've gone through spurts in games. I think there were there were times during that last St John game, whether it was a three minute spurt or a four minute spurt, you know we can perform at a at a nine point five or a ten level you know defensively, and a lot of that has to do with with who we had on the court together and, and and who they're playing against and um but I'd say right now we're probably about eight eight point five I would say heading into the playoffs, so still some room for improvement, but uh you know if we're all on the same page and we're putting the effort forward that's needed, we we can be pretty tough defensively.
0: I know for myself, my broadcast partner, Dave Tingley, when we're calling the games, mentioned it before, but we do have probably the best seats in the house right there at center court. And something that I notice when your team is pushing toward a 10 defensively is how frustrated the other team gets trying to run their offensive sets. You see it in the body language. You see guys shaking their head. You just see so many signs that the other team is frustrated. How much of that do you notice on the sideline? How much do the guys notice? And when you know that you've got a team that frustrated, does it make you step it up even more defensively?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you notice. I don't think we quite notice it in the sense of, hey, we're we're frustrating them. It's more you know, we see the, the, the product of that. You know, we see the turnovers. We see the easy transition baskets or, or things of that nature. And you know that that's all coming, you know, from your defense. Um, you know, I mean, the last two games against the Riptide, you know, they've had 49 turnovers in two games against us, which is, is, is pretty high. Um, and I, you know, it's obviously, you know, well above their season average, and I certainly don't expect that trend to continue into the playoffs. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of points in time during those games we were kind of turning up the heat defensively a little bit and and you could see it, you know, pay off dividends. So, uh when the guys know we get a couple stops in a row, you know, they they, they certainly feed off that, or even more so when we're we're scoring off of those defensive stops. And it's something we pay a lot of attention to in practice. You know, kinda of the last month of, of the season here we you know, we actually kinda of track deflections, you know, in practice. Um, when we're scrimmaging, you know, we award points. You know, we're playing a scrimmage five-on-five, but anytime that the defense gets a deflection, they get an extra point on the scoreboard, you know. And we we do lots of little things like that to continue to try to entice them to be really active and, and, and just be aggressive defensively.
0: You've got so many weapons defensively. There's guys that can do it down low in the post. There's guys that can do it up high on the perimeter. But one guy that when I watch him, I, I still, I marvel at him. And I actually mentioned it on the broadcast uh, on Saturday, how frustrating it must be for an opponent to have to play against Al Stewart. You coach him. You've known him a long time, Coach. You watch him. How frustrating must it be to try and put anything on the floor dribble penetration anything against al stewart
1: yeah it 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 definitely can be i mean i know if we were playing pickup i I wouldn't want him you know checking me i wouldn't i wouldn't want to have to deal with him um he's a pest you know he's always been a pest he's just he's so active and, and he's got these quick hands man and his anticipation is is outstanding and um obviously the foot quickness that Al has. I mean, all those things, you know, totaled together can make for a, a pretty good defensive player. And, and, you know, obviously he has the desire to defend, and, and that's something that, that just has always made him a, a great defender. You know, I think Al gets just as much joy out of, you know, you know kicking a guy's pocket as, as he does scoring the basketball. And um, So he's, he's always been a great defender. And we have a few guys like that. You know, I mean, Marvell Ways, is a guy when he wants to, he can be an extremely tough defender due to his quickness due to his length. I mean, he can be very tough. Jason Calise is another guy, in my opinion, who, who can be a very good defender, especially on the ball. Um, We have, we have quite a few of those guys, Jeremy Williams, Terry Thomas. So, you know, we have all the ingredients to to have a good defensive team and and Al certainly kind of sets the tone, um, you know, for us defensively. And, and we absolutely will need him to do that, you know, in this next series with, with kind of Horace Wormley being such a, a, a huge, you know, key to the series. Um, you know, we'll certainly lean pretty heavily on on how uh, when it comes to Horace.
0: We have to talk about the crowd that was in attendance at the Coliseum, uh, the largest home crowd of the season for the Moncton Magic. Uh, how much did that mean uh, to the team, Coach?
1: Well, a lot. I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, it was, it was great energy in there. I mean, you know, they, they, they opened up the kind of curtain, you know, up behind our benches, and you know, my, myself, I, I didn't really ever notice. I'm never really looking in that direction, you know. Um, but I mean, when I see photos after the game, I'm like, wow, there was <laughs> there was a great crowd. But you certainly could you could feel it, you could hear them, um, and you know, we 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 need that. We need that support, and especially in this first round. Which is going to be a, a very, very tough series. Uh, I know our guys. You know, they just have a little extra bounce in their step. And you know, you talk about being a, you know, a good defensive team and what that can do for us. You know, offensively and, and how it can frustrate opponents. You know, all so much of that energy comes from uh, adrenaline, and and that comes from from great crowds. So it was an outstanding crowd. You know, the other night, and, and I certainly hope to see at least that if not more you know for game one of the playoffs here on sunday
0: something else as well we've referenced a couple of times throughout the season on the podcast but it's just what a tight group the magic team is and uh, there was a bit of a get together uh put off by the uh the management and ownership of the magic after that regular season game and uh Kent Wallace was kind enough to uh, reach out to me via text and invite me because I, I don't have much of a social life, you know, Coach. So. <laughs> well,
1: that makes two of us.
0: <laughs> but just to that point, you know, we we were there that evening watching the guys, hanging out, playing a little pool, playing some ping pong. We'll get to Mitch Rowley in a minute, but good grief. Uh, but <laughs> you know, just seeing the guys together, though, they had some of their friends there. Terry Thomas's brother was there. You know, some of the significant others of the players were there, but just a couple of times I stepped back and just observed different pockets of different things going on and just the camaraderie and the humor and the laughter and just everything. Sometimes you hear it talked about, but it is just talk. It's legitimately a really cool tight knit group from all the years that you coached. um, Have you experienced anything to this level in terms of camaraderie and togetherness?
1: Um, it is a very tight knit group. You know, I'd I'd have to kind of really think back, um, you know, my, my year two team, uh, in this league, which, which was a a finals team. That was a pretty tight knit group, uh, as well. But, but this year, this team probably not, probably not quite as tight as this group. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, having so many mature veteran guys, you know, players that, that have, have played in this league for a while and and they've known each other for a while, whether they were teammates or whether they were opponents against each other. And, you know, I I think just having kind of a comfort level with each other and and knowing there's not one guy on this team, you know, that is out there on a nightly basis, you know, trying to rack up personal statistics. It's just not, it just doesn't exist. And and when you have that kind of chemistry uh, and, and everyone aiming towards one kind of common goal, uh it, it can make for you know you want to hang out with those people you know you all have something in common and, and i think we feel a little bit of that with the guys so yeah it was it was a great night you know after the game the other night and i, I really kind of credit you know um john and 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 mike story and and you know the, the management and ownership of the magic to, to kind of take the guys out after a successful season uh it was a great time
0: and a couple of takeaways from me from that evening. Was at least according to Al Stewart that uh, Kevin Farrell Thomas probably shouldn't pursue a career in pool or billiards. And the other, I could attest to that.
1: I, I could, I actually beat Kevin in pool, and and yeah, I, I think he should stick to playing basketball.
0: <laughs> and the other was that if there's ever a Moncton Magic uh, table tennis team that gets sent anywhere in the world, uh, Mitch Rowley, Rowley should be the captain and play every game. Holy smokes coach, did you get to check out any of Mitch's table tennis prowess? I
1: saw I saw a little bit of it. I certainly heard more about it. I, I that's that was kind of the talk of the the team, you know, the next day. Um it, you know, my father always told me you're really got to watch out for the quiet ones, right? And and you know, Mitch <laughs> is not one of the loudest guys in the room in and, and, and boy, you know, he, I guess he really backed it up on the ping pong table. I heard I heard your your friend Dave Tingley had had a had a bit of a rough going against Mitch on the uh on the old ping pong table as well as many others did. But uh yeah, no, I heard he was great.
0: The the last time I saw any kind of performance like that, real or otherwise, was Forrest Gump. <laughs> Maybe we should start calling Mitch Forrest. That, that's how good he was and you're right Dave was there uh Al Stewart gave it a crack I believe uh Kent Wallace gave it a shot Terry Thomas the list goes on and on. oh yeah
1: Mike's story I mean I don't think Mitch lost the game I think he it was funny so Mitch was actually we rode over uh together um from the arena we headed straight over and and uh we rode over together and and I asked Mitch I said hey you know why don't we just ride over together and he said yeah yeah that, that's fine I said you don't plan on staying long, do you? And he said, No, 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 no. I'm, I'm tired, and I wanna, I wanna get home. You know, we are going for a little bit. And I said, Good. We're, on, we're on the same page. So it got to be about 1 a.m., you know, 1, 1:15, 1 and I was ready to go. So I walked over to Mitch and I had to interrupt his game. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out. You know, you're ready to go? And he said, uh, I think I'm gonna stay a little while. You know, it's like he couldn't, he couldn't get off the ping pong table. And uh, so yeah, he, he was there for a while, dominating the, uh, the table tennis
0: scene oh he he was something else, and very uh unassuming, you know, not braggadocious, but my goodness and and some way somehow, I think coach, there's a couple of guys that are probably spending some extra hours uh in the evening practicing their table tennis for the next time they play. Let's look ahead to uh Saint John, you know we've talked about him, obviously, you played him in the last two regular season games, but the playoffs it's an you know it's it's season two if you will, you hear the cliche the second season whatever you want to talk about. There's no question that the pressure gets amped up, the intensity gets amped up. You know, you see each other at least three times in a row. As you look ahead to St. John now, you know them very well. You've referenced Horace warmly, But again, a very good team up and down that actually had a winning record against you guys this year. As you prepare this week, what are a couple of key points that you're working on with the team to get them prepared for the riptide?
1: Um, I mean we obviously have we have probably four or five real kind of points of emphasis on, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, you, you kind of figure out those those points based on your, you know, regular season against that team. I mean really we've just been focusing on the last the last four games, you know, with, with the riptide, which we split two and two. Um and you're pulling from those games, you know, things you need to improve on, things that worked well, um, you know, what you need to do differently, and you really focus on on those kind of points of emphasis. You take that into game one, you know, as prepared as you possibly can, uh, and then obviously you need to make adjustments from game one to two based on, on how those points of emphasis kind of went. Um, you know, obviously for us, you know, we have to we have to keep Horace Wormley somewhat contained. Uh, he's such a good player he's so dynamic coming off the ball screens and, and he's, he's, he's a playmaker. Like there is no doubt, you know, Horace Wormley is not just a scorer. He's not just a distributor. Like he is a playmaker. He makes plays for other guys on his team and is a team with a lot of other talented players and who can really shoot the basketball. You know, they have the highest three point field goal percentage, you know, in the league. And if you kind of let Horace, you know, kind of, kind of do what Horace does and, and, you know, let him feel comfortable, they're just going to tread you and they're going to knock down threes left and right. And and that's something we're just, we've been working on a lot this week as to how we want to defend him and, and, um, you know, things of that nature, you know, for us offensively, I thought we played one of our better offensive games against St. John the last time out in just terms of, of spacing, the shots we were getting, the nature in which we were getting them, um, so you know we want to continue to improve on some of the things that we did well in that last game offensively. Um, so we're going to spend a lot of time on that this week, you know. But it's uh, it's interesting. And in, in playoff series, I love them, you know, because it, it is it's all about adjustments. And um, you know, this is where where coaches kind of have to earn their their salaries. And uh, you know, I'm really excited to get this one going. Well,
0: I know uh, we're looking forward to it as well. Uh, the Sunday uh, opener of the series. Uh, the time is a 1 o'clock start, a uh, bit of a different start time on Sunday. And uh, the Moncton Magic, when they sent out uh, the announcement of the times, one of the things that was mentioned in social media for those that it matters to was, hey, you'll still be able to get back and watch the uh, start of the final round of the Masters. So when you look at a 1 o'clock start on Sunday and then turn around uh, not till 7 o'clock on Monday night. Does the early game Sunday, you know, does having that little bit of a sort of an extra break in between the Sunday evening into Monday, does that factor into anything for you preparation wise at all? Does it, does it, is it something you think about at all or is it just a one o'clock start? You're going to go play it and then you'll deal with Monday on Monday.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I mean, as far as it being a one o'clock or a two o'clock start, there really isn't any difference when it comes to to playing. Um, You know, obviously when you're going to play it back to back, You know, I I actually prefer an afternoon, you know, game one and an evening game two. Uh, It gives you more time on Sunday evening to review game one and and to really kind of get into that. And then you also have, you know, quite a bit of time from Monday morning to tip off Monday night where you can kind of implement some of these changes that that you want to make, Um, you know, if that, time slots were reversed, you know, all of a sudden you're watching film until, you know, two thirty, three AM on Sunday. Um, and then, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time in the morning the next day to prepare for game two, as far as relaying that, you know, that message to your players. So I'm, um, you know, I'm happy with the schedule with, you know, with games one and two, I think the one o'clock to 7.00 PM, you know, swing is, is, is fine. And, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to, to kind of throw it up here in game one and, and kind of see how things go, you know, and then, and then make changes from there.
0: It's interesting. When we talked at the beginning of the regular season, I think even before the season opener, you know, you had referenced just how much parity there was in the league and that, you know, you expected that uh, it wouldn't be unlikely to see, you know, the top teams go <laughs> 26 and 14, 23 and 17, somewhere in around there. The Moncton Magic, as fate would have it, finished at 23-17. and 17. Of course, you'd like to go undefeated, but realistically, Coach, at the beginning of the year when you were looking ahead, looking at your personnel, the schedule, everything, realistically, what were you hoping, uh, you know, roughly that your record would be? Again, of course, ideally 40-0, but when you were looking at it, what was kind of a, a range that you were thinking this team could achieve this year?
1: Yeah, we, we were just talking about that in the office uh, a day or two ago. And, and I had said, I, I had actually told Mitch uh, Rowley, I said, you know, at the start of the season, you know, I said, if, if you go 24 and 16, you know, or, or 25 and 15, you've had a, a really pretty good year. And, um, you know, I think in the back of my mind, 25 and 15 was, was kind of where I always wanted to be. You know, that was what I felt would have been a, a very, very successful season. Um, you know, as it turns out, if that had been our record, we we still would have been in the two seed, which is which is where we're in now. You know, after Halifax having such a great year, um, but you know, twenty three and seventeen, and, and we had quite a few close losses. Um, we had a few close wins too. But when you when you kind of look at those numbers, I believe we had nine losses uh, by five points or less, um, and we had five losses, I believe, by three points or less. So you're talking about single possession games. Um, So I think, you know, we very easily could have been, you know, 27 and 13, you know, or we probably could have been, you know, 20 and 20. So it really could have gone either way. Uh, But overall, you know, I thought it was a a pretty decent regular season.
0: Well, it was indeed. And uh, the best regular season for any professional basketball franchise based out of Moncton. So, again, congratulations on Mm -hmm. that. Before we wrap it up here, Coach, uh, as we often like to do here on the Magic Time Podcast, we'll we'll take it a couple of different directions. First of all, we've referenced the friendly pool that was going on surrounding the NCAA March Madness. Uh, I had my glory for uh, the first couple of rounds until uh, my pick for the national championship, Duke, (laughs) fell by the wayside. Uh, But uh, I think, uh, is it possible that I'm talking to the winner of said pool?
1: You are. Yes, I, I did. I did. Uh, I did come through with a victory in the, in the Magic NCA pool by one point, um, mind you, by, by one point over uh, <clears throat> Cameron, who is one of our, our physiotherapists who works for uh, Rehab One and, and John Gonzalez. Uh, and, you know, that came down to just just having one more first round win, you know, than, than Cameron, uh, because we both had Villanova winning the whole thing. And, and that was a, a 32 point game. Uh, Anthony Cox is the other guy who had Villanova and he actually came in third in the pool. Um, so yeah, I, I did, uh, I did get the win this year. I, I got bragging rights uh, over my wife, uh, <laughs> at the house, which is even better than, than the, the prize. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good. It was a great, uh, great tournament.
0: Well, congratulations. I think my tears have started to dry up, but that's okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much and maybe just a comment because obviously you're a base or a basketball guy Villanova six <laughs> wins in the tournament all by double digits maybe put that into perspective in terms of where you feel that this Villanova team that went on this run in this uh, March Madness would rank at least in recent memory the last you know 15 20 years
1: oh i think you'd have to put them up there i mean i don't i don't recall the last team that, that ran through a whole tournament you know, winning by double digits. And, and, I mean, no games were were really that close. Um, they're, just, they're just a very, very good basketball team, and they have certainly a couple NBA prospects on that team. Um, you know, obviously, DiVincenzo had a, a huge game in the championship game, and, you know, you always need that, and you almost always see that happen in sports. You'll have one player or, or maybe two just really step up in, in big moments, and, and he certainly... Did that and he had to do it you know with brunson and, and quite a bit of foul trouble um so it was uh it was great it was a great run and and they're they, they have to be probably in the top five you know over the last you know decade 10 12 years of teams that have won you know a national championship
0: yeah there was a discussion i listened to actually do a podcast talking about that and, and they kind of made the same point and i guess with the recruiting class that's coming in uh, no reason to believe that Villanova is not going to be uh, in the hunt again next year. So that's kind of scary for the rest of the Division One.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I think it really kind of depends, too, you know, what guys declare for, for the draft. You know, there's certainly been been talks here the last couple of days about DiVincenzo, you know, um, potentially declaring for the NBA draft that his stock won't get any higher than it is right now. You know, I think Brunson is going to go, you know, certainly being the, the national player of the year, um, they got quite a few guys. I mean there was talks uh uh about their, their big guy there, uh, Spellman, you know, him, you know, potentially being a first round pick after the, the tournament that he had. So um, you know, those schools though, you know, Duke I mean Duke has three of the top ten high school players in the country, you know, all coming to Duke next year and um, yeah, they they just they just keep, you know, reproducing great players. And, and, of course, the best players want to go to winning programs. So, uh, but Villanova, they're, they're always tough. And Jay Wright's a great coach. And, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll be they'll be back in the mix next year.
0: Now, I don't know if you're a golf fan, but uh, do, you have a, do you have a pick for the Masters? A lot of people are going with the sentimental favorite Tiger, but apparently it's uh, one of the deeper fields in a while. Uh, you got any thoughts on that? You got a pick for us?
1: You know what? It's, I I am a huge golf fanatic. I mean, golf is my favorite sport. I mean, hands down, it is something that if I could do every single day, you know, and and stay married, I would. Um, but I haven't been able to really kind of tune into the masters yet this week. I haven't done my research yet. I've not done my homework. I've just, it's been all St. John riptide, you know, truly. Um, So I haven't, I I can't give you a pick. I I don't think Tiger will win. I, I don't believe Tiger will win. I think he'll make the cut. I think he'll, he'll maybe be in the conversation. Um, now if he did win, I mean, I don't think you could ask for a better kind of storybook masters. You know, he hasn't won a major for, it has to be about almost a decade, eight years, maybe. Um, so for him to come back and and win arguably the the biggest major would be, would be crazy. I'd love to see it. Um, but I don't know, you know, I mean, there's, there's kind of always the usual suspects, you know, uh, you know, DJ or, I mean, Sergio, you know, has always, always plays tough at Augusta. He came, came off a win last year. Um, I I have no idea who's going to win it this year. Um, but I'm certainly going to be watching, you know, I'll certainly watch as, as much as I can. And, uh, I, I always look forward to the Masters. Me and my my father and I we have big time kind of bragging. We always have a little a little Masters pool, um, you know. So it will be uh, it will be fun. It's always fun to watch.
0: Well, by all accounts, it uh, potentially can be one of the more exciting masters in a long time. So we'll keep an eye on it. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Coach, before we wrap up in just a couple minutes. And we were talking about this before we came on live for the podcast, but I referenced a situation that happened the other night, kind of a funny scenario in the Toronto Blue Jays-Chicago White Sox game where Daryl Boston, who is a bench coach for Chicago, has a whistle. And he blows this whistle when his team makes a good defensive play. However, I guess he was blowing it, trying to distract, throw off Josh Donaldson a little bit. Josh Donaldson steps up, hits a home run, circles the bases as he comes across home plate. He looks over to the White Sox dugout directly towards Boston and kind of makes the gesture of blowing a whistle. They talked to him about it afterwards. They had some fun. The next game, last night, they kind of caught each other's eye and had a good laugh on it. Real good fun. Just neat to see. And I'm putting this out there because I'm going to put you on the spot. And and can you think of a time, either previously or even that's something current, where there's been a player on an opposing team that you know well, they've kind of had a little bit of fun with, you know, a little bit of a a chirp here or a a nudge and a wink there? Is there one that you can think of?
1: Boy, you know, I've always really tried to make it a point to not engage with other teams' players during a game. I I, I just – I've always – I've always for a couple of reasons. One, I, I don't think it's it's all that professional. You know, a guy's out there trying to do his job, I'm trying to do my job. You know, what I think is professional if a guy, you know, player comes over and, and tries to get in my huddle or, or starts barking at me during a game and, and that's happened. That's happened many times. So I've always tried to, to kind of avoid that just to be on the professional side. Um, I also believe, you know, these guys are superstars like Josh Donaldson's a superstar. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to poke the sleeping bear, you know, and I, I've always been a firm believer in that. Let's not give any individual player, especially superstars, any extra incentive, you know, or any, any fuel on a fire. I, I don't, I don't believe in that. Now there certainly has been some times where some players have have chirped at me in, in the past, you know, in games. And actually a guy that used to do it fairly often was Anthony Anderson. And I, I I do recall a few years back and it's actually, you know, and and probably, I don't, I don't know what the exact number is, but I I have to be around 300 games now in, in the NBL that I've coached. I've only had one walk off buzzer beater win where a player on my team hits a shot to win a game at the buzzer, you know, to, to walk off the floor. I've only had one. And that one came about three years ago in the first round of the NBL Canada playoffs. And we were playing uh, the St. John Mill Rats at the time. Um, at that point in time, we, we were, I think we were down one with about, I don't know, maybe 40 seconds left. And we had played a great defensive possession. And Anthony Anderson pulls up from about 28 feet and just hits a dagger three to go up four. And he just turned and looked and stared me down square in the eye. And and he had some words for me. I couldn't make out what they were, but I'm sure they weren't pleasant. And um, we ended up coming back and hitting a shot at the buzzer to walk off. And that was actually in game five. And I was too advanced for to the next round of the playoffs and uh but no, I mean that, that's the first thing that comes to mind is double A used to, to give me a couple stare downs seemed like almost once a game and uh but again Bosa was in good fun.
0: I was just trying to see if I could find the clip there on YouTube. I was gonna play it for you. It's Oh, you have to <laughs> you have to YouTube.
1: I think if you YouTube it's Mike Williams you know, buzzer beater, I'm, I'm sure it would be on there. And, uh, yeah, it was It was just – it was it was incredible, and especially when it's to, to win a series, right, to advance to a conference final. It was uh, – that was an, an incredible series we had with uh, with the Mill Rats back then.
0: Well, it's interesting, and, you know, you mentioned off the back of that question when I asked it to you about, you know, they're doing their job. You're doing yours, and it's a level of professionalism. That's why you are the winningest coach in NBL Canada history, coach, because of that type of professional approach. So that's certainly something that's appreciated, and I just wanted to get that out there and mention it. Now, the final thing I want to mention while we're talking about Salernos, and he tends to get a lot of time on this podcast, but my goodness, some of the videos coming out of the Moncton Magic locker room after your final regular season game the other night of your son, breaking it down like nobody's business, were fantastic. Coach, where did you find this young man, Cameron? Because he is one of a kind.
1: Yeah, Cam is, is definitely his own his own character. I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. And uh, he certainly had a good time, you know, after our, our win the other night. And, and um, you know, after everyone was all, you know, showered and, And, uh, you know, we had a a post-game little celebration in our locker room afterwards. And we had a lot of staff in there and players and friends. And, and yeah, you know, there was music playing. And and Camden, Camden loves to dance. And, uh, you know, he knows all the dance steps to, to, you know, some of these popular songs. And and, uh, I think... I think the guys were just kind of blown away, and and, and Cam definitely brought some some energy to the locker room, and, and it surprised me because you know he he doesn't love dancing in front of people, but it was like I don't know if he was on a sugar high or or what it was, but there was no holding back. I mean, he does this almost every night, like in the kitchen after dinner. You know, he'll say, "Dad, Dad," you know, put on he put on this song on YouTube and in in whatever and. He does this all the time at home. But to see him do it in front of probably probably close to 30 people, you know, that were in our locker room and, and just really into it. He was requesting songs, and, and it was great. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I've watched those videos a ton. And, and uh, he actually asked me, he said, Dad, he said, um, you know, next game, can we dance again? Can, can we dance again, after, you know, after the next game? And I said, well, Cam, if we, if we, you know, are fortunate enough to beat the Riptide three times, then we'll probably dance again. He says, "Okay, you know, he's he's going to be ready to go. He's going to be counting down those uh,
0: those wins." Well, it was a lot of fun, and I, I think as a big a kick as I got out of watching uh, watching Cam do his thing was watching uh, everybody in the locker room watching him and getting such a huge kick out of it. Everybody had their phones out. Everybody was recording it. It was a neat moment. I know I've asked you this before, but you know, basketball and everything aside. It's a dad and a son. How, how special is that? And, and, you know, how much time do you have to kind of let that soak in and, and think about how cool those moments are?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I think about it often. And I, I know I've, I've said before, it's, it's one of the things that I value most in, in this job that I have. And, and that's to kind of give both my children, you know, experiences that I never had. And, and you know, probably a lot of the kids don't, they don't, they don't have that opportunity. Um, that's a special thing for me. And, and, you know, I've actually, now that Camden, he'll be eight, you know, at the end of the month. And um, now that he's gotten a little bit older, you know, i certainly, he spends more time with the team, you know, he comes to, to shoot around sometimes and um, you know, he's he's now been coming to the arenas a little bit earlier, you know, he gets there around five 30 and kind of hangs out he's on the court a lot. And, and, you know, I want him to be able to do that as as much as possible because again, it's just a, it's a really cool experience and, I know how many kids in the community look up to the, the, the players on our team. So for my son to be able to have a relationship with, with basically every one of those guys is is um, is a very cool thing. So, um, no, I love it. It's certainly one of the things I love most about my job.
0: Well, uh, it's definitely a lot of fun to to see. And as a, as a dad myself, uh, I certainly get a big kick off it, and, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And, and he, I know your daughter doesn't get as much time, but she's a little younger, she's a little more shy. Her time will come, but but certainly Cam, he, he's quite the character. But let's wrap it up here, Coach. I know that uh, you got a couple of days ahead now before the, the Sunday game, but uh, maybe just a, a final thought on uh, preparing for the riptide and uh, just a word for the fans ahead of Sunday's game.
1: Yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to, to the riptide, you know, when you look at us statistically, I think this is the closest matchup on paper out of any of the the first round you know matchups in the in the playoffs in the NBL. Um, you know, you're looking at, at two teams that were one and two in the league defensively. You know, both teams are holding their opponents to exactly 100 points per game. Um, you know, both teams have a, a lot of different weapons offensively, and it, it, we're just it's an extremely close comparison on paper so you know I really think the team that, that has that desire to win uh, that, that executes the game plans put in front of them you know the, the, the best I think is going to be a team that comes out on, on top in what should be a very close series and you know for fans um, playoff basketball you know there, there's not a lot of things like it you know and I know a lot of people will only start watching the NBA come playoff time or they'll only watch march madness you know when it comes to college basketball because that intensity just really heightens and and, and you're you're watching pro athletes just kind of really leave it all out there and and it's, uh it's great it's great entertainment you know so we, we certainly would love to see come out continue to support us as they have you know this regular season um it's just going to be a, a great series
0: Well, it all gets underway at the Moncton Coliseum this Sunday at 1 o'clock Atlantic time. I would encourage fans to get your tickets, get out, and watch the product on the floor in person. You will not be disappointed. And if you can't make it out for whatever reason, you can always visit the Moncton Magic website, monctonmagic.ca, and get the link to the live stream. Coach Joe Salerno, it's been a lot of fun to this point. Congratulations again on a very successful regular season, and we cannot wait to be there on Sunday and bring you, the fans, the game. And uh, it'll be good to see the guys that are on the floor for some playoff basketball. Good luck the rest of the week, Coach, and we'll see you on Sunday. Okay, thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure, sir. Thanks for joining us. That's the head coach of the Moncton Magic, Joe Salerno, the number two seed in the Atlantic Division. They'll start their playoff series against the St. John Riptide this Sunday And again, note the special start time, 1 p.m. Atlantic at the Moncton Coliseum. Game two will go Monday evening at 7 p.m. also at the Moncton Coliseum again. I would encourage you to get your tickets. You can go to the Moncton Magic website. It's monctonmagic.ca. Get your tickets there. You can also pick them up at the Moncton Coliseum box office. And once again, if for whatever reason you can't make it out to the game, you can join the live stream broadcast with myself and Dave Tingley and you can find the live stream link, once again, at monktonmagic.ca. Thanks again to our guest head coach, Joe Salerno. Until next time, I'm Scott Squires, and I want to thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will talk to you from the Coliseum on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Until then, remember, my friends, if you can't take part in sport, be a good one anyway. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Magic Time Podcast. Proudly presented by Firm Foundation Media.